You're listening to the podcast of Real Life Church. We love, we live, we relate. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm so excited to be sharing with you this morning. I've been up since five preparing. I don't know why I don't preach more often. I often don't have time to prepare. But I've actually got, you must see my notes. Here are my notes from this morning. I've got notes strewn all over, pages, mind maps. A Joyce Meyer preached that a friend sent. Um, and uh, um, another, yeah, just a whole lot of stuff. But I really want to ask you today what your hope bank balance looks like. And I think looking at the past six months, I think COVID-19 has been one of my life's greatest plot twists. At the beginning of 2020, I put prophetically on my Facebook, 20 plenty. I think I should have been more specific about what I wanted plenty of, uh, because I have got plenty, but um, it's not really been at all uh, what I expected. And, and I suppose part of life is to expect the unexpected. And I think when you go from one set of circumstances to another in a very short space of time, like we did with our venue, our business and the church. I think sometimes it's quite good. Well, certainly the way that I'm designed is to stop and contemplate and to try and unpack and process that a little bit. Um, I sometimes think that um, that song, Onward Christian Soldiers, Marching is to War. Sometimes as believers, we so looking to move into the next thing that we kind of march over the wounded and sometimes we're wounded but we carry on marching on and sometimes it's just good to sit back and and think about things and process it with the lord <clears throat> psychologically it's quite interesting because um the uh psychologists talk about a systematic set of circumstances so we are what we're thinking and what we believe but there's a job and relationships and maybe kids and families and sick parents and mothers. And there's like a, a whole system that's operating. And it's actually very difficult for us to shift and change. And sometimes a catastrophic event, as awful as it is, actually causes a systemic shift and a systemic change in us. And I believe that sometimes God in his kindness and his goodness um, uses what the enemy intended for bad to uh, choose to shift us and shift the whole system because it's not like I just suddenly wake up one day and go, I, this is what's going to happen in my life and shift. Shifting and change is extremely, extremely difficult. So when things don't turn out the way we imagine and, and we suddenly get a work, a financial, a relational or a pandemic plot twist, we may look at things and stop a moment and ponder our lives and, and try and make sense of it. I have realized though that God doesn't owe me an explanation to my question, why? Why God? And I think that we have to move away from this, um, uh, what, what are those slot, those machines um, where you get a drink out of them, where you, where you uh, what are they called? Um, vending machines. Vending machines. Thank you guys. I was going to say a Coke machine. Where I put in my good deeds, I put in my tithe, I put in my Bible study and I press the little button and out at the bottom comes my perfect life. God has never, ever promised that. If you want to look 
at what your life is meant to look like. Look at the apostles who pretty much all ended up quite catastrophically in terms of how they died and, and how sacrificially they actually lived. So I don't, it doesn't stop me asking the question why, but God does not owe us an explanation as to the why. So we really shouldn't be surprised because in 1 Peter 4.12, it says, you know, beloved, do not be surprised. So um, at the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Not that anything near what happened to us in the past couple of weeks is what happened to the apostles. As I said, they really paid a huge price. And I really sometimes feel that um, we were talking about generations last night. I'm Gen X. Um, uh, some of you are millennials. Some of you are boomers. Um, I wanted to be a boomer, but it ends in 1964. And my kids said, actually, it's not meant as a compliment, but whenever they call me a boomer, I'm quite, I feel quite complimented. Um, but the millennials and the, the Gen Z, I find really, um, they, they actually need a little bit more chutzpah and a little bit more chies and a bit more staying power because they seem to give up quite easily. I think my mom's generation, the boomers or the silent generation who came out of the war, really just knew how to carry on, stop complaining and, and get on with life, you know. So Paul, um, ever the encourager, also says to us in 2 Timothy 3.12, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So really my light and momentary troubles are, are not new or strange or unexpected, you know. So when you go into a venue seven years ago and it's falling apart and it's an old pick and pay and it's really crummy and you almost break in through the door and you go and you pray and you ask God for that venue. And then the ability to rent that venue comes up and you pray you seek counsel, you discuss it as, a, as an eldership, and you feel that God's saying that, and, and, and you take it. And then you're there a while, and the ability for a five-year lease comes up, and you, you know that you actually can't, with integrity, sign it because you don't, can't guarantee the, the, the finances, and we pray, and we seek God, and we find a solution, and we really feel that it's the right decision to take the building and to invest personally, Stu and I, quite a bit of money. Then when it ends up like ours did, does that mean that we made a wrong decision? And personally, did Stu and I make a wrong decision, investing wise and, and all of that? The, the relay, yeah, I, I know so many people, you know, some of you who've made decisions and really trusted God and they don't always work out. And that can be spiritually, financially, or relationally. And, and so I've been pondering recently what Stu calls about like that tension. So, so, and I believe in the tension is the enemy on this side <clears throat> who wants to rob, kill, and destroy and, and actually always brings opposition. And sometimes we just need to fight that through. And then actually God on the other side who sometimes allows things to happen um, because we're being proud and he's actually opposing us. Sometimes he allows us to happen because it's the kindness of God and, and he's doing that for that. And sometimes it's because he's disciplining us because he absolutely loves us. And every bit of that is so redemptive. And then somewhere in the middle is us. So as I said, when we have this unexpected 
outcome, is it the enemy? Because honestly, it felt like a spiritual opposition for three years. The one of it, it wasn't just one person, but one of the people in there was a Muslim and she really never wanted us to have the church there. I don't know, was it, was it actually a, a spiritual battle? I do know that it was a battle in the natural for three years. Um, is it a bad choice or just lack of wisdom? And really, guys, I, I'm going to give you some examples of actual real things. And, and my heart is not one of criticism, but we, we are meant to have godly wisdom. But don't tell me that God said you, you must move marriages, cities, jobs four times in a year and, and use the God card because I'm not sure that that is really God. And um, people who don't seek or seek the wrong wise counsel. Like if you have a friend who is getting food parcels, maybe don't get go to them for financial advice or someone that's not currently employed at the moment. Don't ask them necessarily about career advice. If they're super spiritual, then go to them. That's wise counsel. Wise counsel is going to the person who has fruit in that area to get some perspective. The responsibility on the decision is still yours, but it says that the wise seek wise counsel. And I often see Christians make decisions and then um, sort of notify afterwards and when there's, when there's a problem. You know, don't tell me God told you to go into debt to buy a new non-essential item. Don't tell me that God told you to pack in your job and live by faith and then ask me to finance your family. Um, don't resign... Uh, from your job before you have a written contract for your next one. I know that sounds super harsh and that's not my heart because everything is redeemable and we all make mistakes and everything is redeemable. But the reality is you need to um, learn from the mistakes and everything is rede uh, uh, redemptive. Or is the outcome of this decision not because you've had opposition from the enemy and not because you've made an unwise decision, but actually, is it God that's opposing me? And you know, if I look back on my life, I do think that there are times where God, James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. And I think that I've had pride and, and I'm actually working against God. And you're never going to win because me is small and God is really, really big. And pride, listen to what pride is. Pride is a feeling or deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of those with whom one is associated closely or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. And, you know, even I was thinking about the, all the outreach programs that we've been doing since lockdown. And I'm, I'm so proud, but like in a good way, I'm so proud, like a parent is proud or, or you're proud of a, a sibling or family member. I'm so proud of the sandwich making, the feeding schemes, the outreaches that we've done the reusable sanitary pads. But I need to resist allowing pride to come into that with my association with Mark and Dare to Love and all of the amazing people. And yesterday was so awesome because we had uh, people, I don't know if they were Tamil or Dots or whatever, um, uh, unsaved people from a business organization come. And it was absolutely amazing. And I'm so privileged to be part of that. But if pride creeps into that of like, look what we're doing, comparison with other churches, et cetera, et cetera, God will start to oppose that program. And I think sometimes in my life, God has opposed me because there's been pride in my heart. 
a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction arrived from my own achievement, the achievements of the people that I'm associated with, or the qualities or possessions that are widely admired, my house and my car, you know, not that I have a great car, okay, but um, even in my business, I've realized the Lord has really shown me that at times, it, it's really weird, because God gives me the talents, the natural talents that I have, right? So they're from him. But when I operate out of those natural, natural talents, I actually don't need 2 Corinthians 10, 12. When I am weak, he is strong. So I wonder sometimes in our businesses, it's like I'm, I'm naturally good as a mechanic to fix a car. It's God's given me that talent, but, but I'm strong. So God doesn't need to be strong there. I am a mom and I bake beautifully. I actually don't need, it's a natural gifting. I actually don't need supernatural Holy Spirit to be there with us. And I think in my business, over the years, you develop a set of skills. 10,000 hours gives you the ability. Ash is a psychologist. Iro um, in your teaching. Delene in your, in your husband's business. Your Knowles in, in the study. Nolan. That you're actually so good at it in the natural that you are strong in that and therefore the Lord doesn't need to pitch up and he's actually quite weak. I don't want God not to be in my business. I need his supernatural enabling grace, his wisdom and his guidance. So I need to stay humble, especially about the nat nat natural talents that he's given me. And ironically, with the closure of the business, I'm now sitting in a, in a, in a time where I feel incredibly weak and I really, really need the Lord's strength. And I'm, and I'm grateful for that because what we're going to do is we're going to take the money that we made from selling a third of the, 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 the investment of the rooms and we're actually going to develop, the brand surgeon is actually going to develop a whole new platform and system to take us online and start to compete in a, or with a panel, with a, a research panel. And, and we're going to start competing with the big boys. And... Um, and I'm so weak in this area of development and IT and coding. And so I really need God in my, my business. I really need him to be strong. And he promises that he'll be strong. And I want to read this to you in the King James, because it just there's just something about the authoritative of old, oldie worldie. 2 Corinthians 10. For this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me, that it might depart from me. This is Paul talking about the thorn in his side. I want to tell you, I feel like a rose bush sometimes. There are so many thorns in my side. I'm like, God, you only gave Paul once. I've got a hundred. I feel like I have hundreds of thorns. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ might rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I'm not quite there yet. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is when we are actually at our lowest point, where everything is crumbling around us, that we really, really need to draw close to God and to others for comfort. But for somehow we don't. It's really crazy. I have a beautiful young guy in my single life workshop who has, who'd signed up and he said, Ali, I'm in such a bad place. He was in tears on the phone that I can't do it. And I said to him, my love, please know that 
that's when you most need to get into a group and create a safe space and work your stuff through. This feeling that I have to go and sort myself out and then come back and offer myself perfect is such an incredible lie because we're never going to be perfect. We are righteous because of what Jesus has done, but we're never going to be perfect. You just have to ask my kids and my husband to know that it's, um, it's not, you know, it's not perfect. But as Danny Silk says, you know, I can't work harder on your life than you do. I, I can't force this beautiful young guy. I told him that we're praying for him and I am really praying for him and really trusting he'll do the next one, but I can't work harder on his life than he does, you know? So to recap thus far, when our, when stuff doesn't go the way that we expect it to go, sometimes it's the enemy and we need to push through and overcome. Sometimes we make really, really bad choices, but we can become wise and all of that is redeemable. Sometimes it's God opposing me due to pride. God not being there because I'm so strong in my natural giftings that he doesn't really need me. And in fact, that probably is pride anyway, isn't it? Or number four, God in his incredible kindness actually disciplined me or closing a door for me. And this is where we have to understand that all things work together for good. Look at the Garden of Eden. I think we have to reframe how we see the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve mess up. And if they had stayed, it would not be good. And the rest of the Bible, which is a love story of redemption, of restoring what was lost, would never ever have unfolded. So that word God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden is called Ganosh, Garosh, Garosh. I think you have to say it with like Romanian accent to make it sound more harsh, but it's actually not harsh. It is Garosh. It is garrosh. It's a redemptive word. It means drive out. Not God standing there with a whip going, bad people, leave the Garden of Eden. It is a loving God taking his children by the arms, saying, I know this is hard. It's giving them the vaccination. It's saying, I know this is hard, but I am ushering you out, out of love, so that you can go and throughout history, I can make the ultimate sacrifice and send Jesus Christ so that you, you will be redeemed back to first Adam in the Garden of Eden, not an angry God. And we have to reframe that. That's why the world gets angry with God when things go wrong because they think he's an angry God. Even in the Old Testament, God is a restorative God. He's not a punitive God. He wants to restore and he works everything for good for us. And he knows that if they stay and they go back and they eat of the tree of life, they will be forever frozen in Eden and separated from him and from the intimacy. And in his love, he guides them out so that his beautiful love story culminating in Jesus can happen. You know, a friend was telling me this week that um, she um, felt God call it to the UK. And she got all of her documentation together. And I know because I got my ancestry visa and we lived in the UK through this exact means. If you had a grandfather that was born in the UK or a father, you set, gave a set of papers and you qualified for an ancestry visa. She says she has no idea why, but she somehow waited and waited and waited. She'd left Deloitte. She'd packed up her job. She was packed up. She was ready to go. And she, they did not issue this visa. And there's no... Um, 
explanation in the natural. And she actually landed up working as a teacher at a school, met her husband and has been married for, for many years. It is the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not judgment. So when you look back at the things that happened, good or bad, which one of these is the reason? It did, we, did the venue go, as my mom says, tits up? Because it was the enemy and we needed to overcome him. Was it bad choices and do we need to become wiser? Or did we miss the voice of God in that? Was it God opposing us because of pride? Was it um, God in his kindness closing that door or disciplining us? Friends, I really, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but we as humans want a formula so that we can assess ourselves against that. And I, I don't think it really matters because I know that we made the decision. You know, it's very easy to sit here and look back at the decisions you've made in your life with these eyes. But at the time with the information and the Holy Spirit and the guidance that we have, you make the very best decision that you have. And I just felt today, God wants to break off some deep, deep regret of people because you, you're sitting here now and you're looking back and you go, I should have done this. Well, at the time, with the knowledge that you had, the resources that you had, the walk with God that you had, and the people that you had around you, did you make the best decision? Because if you did, you just, you've got to let that go. And even if you didn't, God is there in kindness to bring a restoration. But we really do want a, 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 um, a formula, like um, a, a blueprint as, as people. And God doesn't really give us one. If I look at parenting, if I look at life decisions, if I look at business and marriage and singleness, it's all quite vague. God is very clear on authority government, principles, uh, priorities, but actually not so much on process. I was looking at some of the best-selling um, uh, books, you know, The Seven Mountains of Influence, uh, Covey's The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Deepak Chopra's The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success, seven, obviously, very popular self-help book number. Um, and we love these books. These books sell millions and millions of copies. But the reality is, I really, I really don't think God is going to give us a formula. And I don't think he's going to give us a formula because firstly, we're not very good at following rules. Look at the Israelites. How many of us start diets or fitness plans or whatever? Um, we're not very good. Uh, it's all very well knowing that most of the issues that I've had in my life is not that I didn't know what to do, it's that I didn't apply it. I'm sure you're all very different. Because also, there's not a one-size-fits-all. Each situation requires a different process and application. And most importantly, because somehow God, in his infinite wisdom, who doesn't need us, who doesn't require us, who can do everything because he's all-knowing and all-powerful, and, and, and he doesn't need us, but somehow he has chosen to partner with us. And he wants us to walk with him and partner with him in the solution. If we get a manual, we'll go off and try and do the manual. And even then, it's not going to always work out that well. So he doesn't actually give us a formula. He wants us to walk through the process with him. So if we had to do the venue decision again, would we do it? Yeah, I think I would. 
And I think Stu probably would as well. Um, and, and people have just been so amazing in the process of, of literally in four days, losing our business, losing our venue. Um, and people have said, oh, Stu and Ali, you've done so well with that. But I, th I, I do think we've had the most amazing support and love from all of you in, in completely different ways. And, and that has been astronomical. But I also want to be hugely grateful and humble because I really don't want the Lord to oppose me. But I do think that there are some things that have sustained me, um, which became burned into my small and rather slow learning brain. And these are these things. The first is God is good all the time. Hey, non to Kamala Moyo, even when I don't see it, and even when I don't feel it. It has taken 10 years to undo that God was sometimes in a good mood and sometimes in a bad mood and that he was quite schizophrenic and to really understand that God is good and, and everything will work out for my good. And, and I am starting the very journey of learning that principle. The second is that God is trustworthy. Um, three years ago, that scripture, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Only in the last couple of years have I really actually submitted and leaned on God and trusted him in the process. And that has stored up for me testimonies which no man can take away because the man or woman with an argument is never at the mercy with a man or woman with an experience. And thirdly, so... So firstly is, lost my page, God is good all the time. Secondly is God is trustworthy. I can actually trust him. Even when I don't understand it, I can trust him. And thirdly, the incredible revelation for me of Romans 5.35, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our heart through his Holy Spirit. How the heck can suffering produce hope? And that is what I want to talk about today. I think the thing that sustained me, and I want to tell you, I had moments where I literally came to my knees. One of them was the Monday night that we told all of you about what had happened. The other one was on the Friday where I felt completely overwhelmed, where we were trying to price everything and sort everything and, and 50, 60 people were coming in to buy things and it was just overwhelming and, and really just people stepped up and I don't know how it all happened, but it really did. And the third was when I had all so much stuff still left in the venue that we'd sold um, and the, the landlord sent the most terrible letter saying, we basically going to come in and we're going to shut you down and you're going to have no access to your building. And the fear, I actually thought I was going to be ill because the fear that overwhelmed me because two doors down, okay, we had paid our rent and our full rent, but two doors down, they had done that to the salon in that same shopping center. And I felt absolutely overwhelmed. And three hours later, the, the lawyer phoning and going, Stu and Ali, the landlord cannot do that in the natural. He's bullying you and don't worry. That sense of of 
of calm was absolutely amazing. But the things that have really sustained me in my, is slowly, very slowly, you, it's been 28 years to build this little bank account, but very slowly, a bank account of hope has been developed because suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. So every time something goes wrong, it produces hope, and I put it into the hope bank. Um, it's a testimony of a positive outcome, overcoming fear, um, a shift in my thoughts. Mainly, it's been about shift in my thoughts. Uh, Steve Backlund says, he or she who has the most hope has the most influence. And I have really shifted from a glass half empty person to a glass half full person. And I do believe that my influence has, has increased because of, because of that. Understanding hope in a bad, in, a, in an underwhelming way is like seeing Jesus as a baby in a manger. You absolutely do not understand. Jesus is the authority and the central figure in humanity. Hope is not a whimsical wish. The biblical hope is an application of your faith. So you take your faith and you apply it um, to, to a situation and you expect a, a confident um, outcome. It's a confident expectation in God's performance of his promise. So. In the world, hope is a whimsical, wishish thing. And, and I think that we don't have a correct understanding of, of hope because it's in the world, the strength, hope, the strength of hope is in the person's desire. Oh, I really hope that Khloe Kardashian stops using Botox. Oh, Karen, I do hope that the 2020 Olympics will happen in 2021. It's a whimsical thing and it's based on the strength of your desire. But guys, biblical hope is, it's hope and it's faith. So faith is the assurance that things revealed and promised in the world will happen, even if you don't see it and you, and you can't, and you can't um, feel it. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. So here you have faith. And right next to it, you have this bolt called hope. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. In, in Hebrews 1, faith is the confidence of what we hope for. So you take your faith, which is stuff I can't see, and you take the application of hope. Boom! You put them together. And it's really hope's strength is in God's faithfulness. Worldly hope is in my desire. If I listen to enough of those self-help things which goes, you're amazing, you're a winner, it's all fun. And I just hope I get better. No. When I take my hope with my faith, which is the application of my faith, the strength is in God's faithfulness to fulfill it. Hope is the confident expectation of what God has promised. And for some really wacky, weird reason, the Lord put in my head Ant-Man. And I went and watched the trailer <laughs> for Ant-Man. And it's like, it's like we have this massive big, um, you must go and look at the trailer. You have this massive big giant out there, like the bad guy, you know, the enemy and stuff. And you take this tiny little person and you put on this amazing little suit. Bam, bam, and, and you create this powerful thing which can fight the good fight of faith. And for some reason, the Lord gave me Ant, the Ant-Man trailer as that. So can I ask you today, guys, 
friends? Who or what has shoplifted your hope? Eskim not only shoplift, but completely robbed my hope this week. I, I have really, really struggled with work this week because of Eskim and, and felt actually a level of anger. Almost, I made a commitment never to post anything negative on Facebook. I really do try. And I, and I actually wrote it and never sent it going, actually, Eskim and the, the load shedding is going to be far more catastrophic than COVID. I was so, so, so frustrated. And that shoplifted my hope. Because I must go back to the bank of hope and remember that we got the Soccer World 2010. Okay, slightly dodgily, but we got it. And, and what that did for us as a nation, that we, against all odds, have won sporting challenges, that we have this amazing thing in the Karoo um, worldwide for these satellites and solars and things, and, and just the, the amazing favor that God has on this country. So I feel like today we need to plug the holes of leaking hope in our, in our lives. And you know, I often say to you that scripture, Proverbs 12, 12, that God gave me such a revelation of that. And it says, hope deferred makes the heart sore. And I always used to think that meant that if I hope for Eskim or a baby or a marriage or whatever, and it doesn't happen, my heart gets sore. And I just had such a revelation that that's not what it means at all. It's when I take my hope out of the situation. So hope deferred makes the heart sore. Hope not deferred doesn't make the heart sore. So if we keep our hope, our heart remains happy. And that was such a revelation to me. Your hope bank account is not just a financial bank account. Although I'm a little plug ad for hope bank accounts is that it has great eternal rewards. Your hope bank account is a physical, spiritual, an emotional bank account. You know, my, um, uh, and, and I think that the, um, uh, the, the scripture of, for the hope set before him, Christ endured the cross. Um, and my secular version of, for the hope, you know, so, so Jesus had to go through that hard time to get to what was on the other side. My secular life verse, as you know, is uh, um, everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. Because, because we sit on this side and we might be in the midst of our personal culvery. But for the hope that God promises that he will work everything for good, we have to keep going. I, I had no option on the Friday, but to keep going. I, I really wanted to collapse in a heap on the floor but I knew because of the hope bank that I had that God is good that he's not going to forsake me that he's going to work everything for good and that the suffering is going to produce hope that there's going to be a testimony a massive testimony at the end of it so here are seven steps to getting hope no <laughs> no I'm just testing you I'm kidding. There is no formula, guys. There's, I see you get your pen out. Okay, I'm going to list the seven things. I'm going to follow the formula. Guys, there's no formula. I say die old thinking and old creation. But seriously, <clears throat> I'm going to finish now. And I want to put on two minutes of music. And I want to ask you, what, what is your hope bank account looks like? Your hope bank account is made up of 
memories, prophetic words, testimonies. You know, in the Old Testament, they built altars. Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. They were always erected in prominent places so you could go back and remember. And actually, a, a, an altar is called a table of God. And the table of God in the New Testament is communion. When Jesus knew for the hope set before him of what he was going to endure, where he literally sweated blood because of the anxiety of what he had to go through, which is nothing like our light and momentary troubles, Paul calls them. And Paul was crucified upside down on the cross. So um, yeah, or was that Peter? Anyway, um, and so, so the, the altar, the modern day communion table is not a, a rock built altar. It's that we sit down and we do communion and we remember at the altar of the communion table what Jesus did when he was about to go through the worst place in his life. And that's what Stu and I have been taking communion every day to, to, uh, this week for a whole lot of things that we feel have come against us. We sit down at God's table and we go, I remember the sacrifice that you made with your son. I remember your body that was broken. And because of that, I have hope that everything will work out for good and that you are in this. And no matter what the circumstances and no matter what's happened before, everything will be okay in the end. Because if it's not okay, it's not the end. So I want to put on this um, blessing video, um, uh, audio. And I just want us, you can turn your screens off or whatever, to actually go to your bank account. Maybe you need to create a, a Hope bank account because you've never had one. Maybe you need to go back and read it because we so often forget all the testimonies. And maybe you need to just be reminded and add a couple of testimonies in there. So I'm just going to give us two minutes. I'm going to play The Blessing, which I just think is such an amazing, profound song. And just ask Holy Spirit, what is my hope bank? What, when there's been suffering, it's produced perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. What's in my hope bank account? Because we all have testimonies of the goodness of God. Thank you for listening.